Welcome to another episode of the Startup Grind Charleston podcast. This episode features Steve Lesniak, founder and president of Celadon Home. Steve is a unique guest for us because he is not in technology. Actually, Steve arrived in Charleston from England in 1992. And upon realizing there was a huge gap in the local furniture market, he opened Celadon in 1994. Celadon is still in business and growing, so we've got a lot to learn from Steve from the entrepreneurial sense. Let's listen in as our chapter director, Jeremy Berman, interviews Steve and talks about his entrepreneurial journey. As usual, this episode is brought to you by Snagajob, one of the leading tech companies in our community, providing quality solutions and an amazing work culture. You can learn more about Snagajob at snagajob.com or access the links provided in the episode description. Enjoy the episode and be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome to the Startup Grind. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I always say it's a hell of a lot easier when people clap for you on the way in. <laughs> life, is, life is good. Um, can I just say something to begin? Please. Um, thank you for inviting me. I, um, you mentioned that the you guys are all techies, so why you would want me here in retail? And I have no tech experience at all, so I I, um, I appreciate you inviting me, and thank you that. Thank you for that. I don't, I don't know how to use my phone. Um, and my experience is, I hope I can help help you with a little bit of that. There's, there's some similarities in any business, starting a business. Um, hope uh, my experiences are dated, so. Hopefully, some of that will come through. That the similar experiences will come through. Um, again, appreciate appreciate it. And I'm I don't in, I'm not comfortable doing this either. So, so I've had a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're grateful for you spending time and putting yourself in an uncomfortable position to educate our community. So let's rewind this all the way back to the beginning, just so there's no confusion. Where are you from? Um, Chicago. I grew up. <laughs> Not the answer I was going for. <laughs> I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Northern England. Okay. So my green card is. I don't. I've got it all covered. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. Good. We don't have to worry about Celadon closing down anytime, anytime soon. Um, so oh, um, we had a sale this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and startup grind attendees get twenty percent off. Woo! Woo! Really? I don't know. I just made that up. They do so. now. Thirty percent off. Someone get this guy more beer. That's awesome. So, growing up in Northern England, um, when you were going through school, what did you think you were going to do with your career? There's <laughs> a loose, loose outline. So I send a bunch of questions and I put an asterisk saying, I'm not going to read the questions. And I, um, I have no idea. I have no idea. I never had a plan. I love that about you. So no, I never what, did you go to university? I wanted to be a techie. You wanted to be a techie. <laughs> You're here tonight to learn from everyone else. Exactly. In, in the room. Exactly. I had no idea. All right. So where did you go to university? Uh, Cardiff University in Wales. And how were you as a student? <laughs> I scraped through, uh, but I had a great time. That's the best way. Yeah. Um, did you think you were employable no, going through no, no. school? No, no, I had, I had, I came out of school and everyone else came out of college and everyone else is applying for careers, 
and I didn't bother to apply and I didn't think I was employable and um, I didn't want to work for a corporation. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So what, what was that first step after realizing that you actually have to make some money to survive in the real world? Uh, uh, my best friend was working at a clothing company in sales and I went and he got a job for me. He'd already found a job for my twin brother. And uh, so I came out of uh, college and started working in the clothing industry. Did you like the clothing industry or was that just the job that was available at the time? I, I've never liked any industry. <laughs> uh, my work sucks. I hate work. Um, but I mean, there are reasons to work. And um, after a short while, uh, my twin brother and my best friend and I decided we didn't like the way we th that the uh, our employers were, were running. Well, we thought we could do a better job and we started off on our own. That was probably within six months. No kidding. So did, if you had to say like one thing you learned in that six months, like what, what did you think you could do better specifically? Let's go there. Um, maybe greed had a part to do with it as well. <laughs> Great, yeah, it's probably great. Okay, so what was that initial idea then when you and your brother were like, we're gonna, we're well, gonna start something? So when we, we, um, it was, um, we didn't have any money and it was very, it wasn't about going out, like, um, you know, finding someone to fund us. I think we pulled between the three of us 6,000 pounds, probably about $10,000 then. And we started um, a slightly different business from the one, the one we were working in was, um, wholesale, uh, selling clothes wholesale. We started to buy um, leather clothing and sell it door to door in factories and offices and things. And we would literally go door to door. And we started out very old school in my mother's garage, buy some inventory, sell it, go and buy some more. Started. Why'd you choose leather? Was that opportunistic or something you were familiar um, with? Yeah, we, we were, you know, it's something we were familiar with. I grew up in um, uh, the clothing. I, I grew up, my, all my mother's uh, brothers and sisters had clothing stores in, in um, England. And um, we grew up, my, my parents split up. My, my, our, my father, parents were, my mother was a war bride, so she met my father in World War II. He was, sta he's an American stationed in Britain, you know, coming here, coming to England, stealing our jobs, taking our women, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so they got married, they went back to, to the States on a farm, uh, they got divorced when I was a kid. Uh, so the, my mother and the four kids moved back to England. Um, John Osborne talked last week about how this very affluent, supportive family, I came from a dysfunctional family and we grew up it was tough on my mom bringing up four kids as a single mother. And, um, I'm sorry. No, this is good. Keep All going. Right. Um, where were we going with the, that? So they were in the clothing business. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, but my mother's, uh, my mother's uh, brothers and sisters, they were all um, entrepreneurs, small town affluent. You know, it's a small town and they had their own businesses, so they were all comfortable. And um, I guess that's where I got the entrepreneur gene and the clothing gene, or clo retail gene. They were all in retail. 
Yeah. Yeah, so what was that first year like, you and your brother, you're going to go sell some leather? It was fantastic. Leather. It was fantastic. Um, we had an excellent first couple of years. We probably did a million dollars, in, sorry, a million pounds in sales, one and a half million dollars in sales in our first year, which was 40 years ago. And it was excellent. We started to employ a bunch of sales reps going door to door all over the country, England, which is a very small country. And um, we did very well. Until well, I want to I want to I want to make you go deeper in one thing. So right. it couldn't be a walk in the park to just turn on a leather business and make a million and a half bucks. So oh, he didn't make a million and a half. But he didn't make revenue. So, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. But what were some of the growing pains going through that business? The same pains that everyone has in a growing business is cash flow and, and inventory control and uh, employee management. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'd like to also mention that um, starting a business in England, uh, it might surprise you, is a lot easier than starting one here. You have much more paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Were there other crazy people starting businesses in England at that time? Or were well, you looked no, at Well, of course. As... You know, everyone's starting businesses. But yeah. um, I, I think Americans are much more positive uh, than the British. Um, we were talking the other day. I'm a, you said the, one of the defining traits mm -hmm. of most entrepreneurs is how um, optimistic they are, and I'm a negative, negative person, but then that's the Brits, you know, we're, we're all negative. We'd rather look at the downside than the upside. <laughs> Understandable. Um, so what, and that's why we drink a lot of beer. That's that's why. So what was the initial plan with you and your brother in terms of growing that business and what you wanted to achieve? We didn't have a plan. There was no plan. Just make more money make some today money than you did yesterday. And there was a plan, yeah. We didn't have a plan. Okay, so what, what ended up happening in that business? Well, my best friend, first of all, he worked. He turned my brother and I against each other. He was older than, than the two of us. I think I was 21, he was 23, 24, which is a lot at that age. He turned my brother and I against each other. We stopped speaking. I left the company, and then he embezzled uh, most of the money out of the business. <laughs> Is this your ex-best friend? No, he's still my best friend. <laughs> he is my ex-best friend. It's like that old story. I'm really, you know, my best friend ran off with my wife. I really miss him. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kathleen. It's just a joke. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was tough, doubly tough. Yeah. Uh, did you learn anything from that experience? I don't know that I did. I don't know. I'd like to think I did, but... Okay, yeah. so your best friend embezzles a lot of money. You have to wind the business down. Your brother is turned against you. Eventually, my brother and I um, got back together after a couple of years of not speaking. Okay, so personally, though, career-wise... My experience, number one, being in business with family is tough. Because if you have a issue, it's not it's a personal issue. It's not a business issue. Okay. Okay. So what did you do after you started? Then I um, got married and went into business to my first wife. And I got married <laughs> and I went into business with my wife, uh, doing something very similar. We we sort of progressed into manufacturing. By then we were manufacturing clothing, had a couple of sweatshops in the East End of London. And then they were literally sweatshops, and um, <laughs> I've employed a lot of um, Bengalis and Egyptians and all kinds of guys and gals. It was, it was fun. And uh, um, 
So eventually our relationship became a business relationship. And my rule, and my next thing is, I've known people who are married or in business together and it works. It didn't work for me. So it turned our personal relationship into a business relationship. So any issue you have at work, you take it home with you. So that's... Are there, do you have advice for people that are in relationships and starting business or have already started businesses and how to make it work? Well, obviously. Or not work? Or? Well, always, uh, um, I'm also a volunteer with SCORE and what I tell my clients is um, cover the downside. So in any partnership, make sure you're all excited and you're happy and the, you're looking for the business to go global, or national or whatever but cover the downside if it doesn't work, who's gonna own what, who's gonna be liable for what, and uh, just cover, go to your lawyer and talk about it. How big did that business end up getting when at the point you spun that one down? Uh, with my wife, it wasn't a very big business. It was, um, we were manufacturing, and also we were in pop-up shops because it was leather clothing, it was seasonal, and we'd have, we'd open three or four pop-up shops and we didn't call them pop-up shops then, and uh, for the winter, and to close them down at the end of the winter. So it wasn't a growing business, it wasn't a big business. Um, another thing I might say is like, we were affected by global warming in Europe then, 30 or 40 years ago, you could see it. And we would have warm winters, and because we were in a seasonal business, that was tough, you'd get stuck with a lot of inventory hmm. at the end of the winter. Interesting. Sale. That's why. Like, well, yeah. we're going to have a sale. How did you and uh, your wife divide up responsibility? Um, well, um, I was responsible for sales, and I don't know what she did. <laughs> <laughs> and here lies the problem. <laughs> uh, um, we split so up. Um, we really closed the business. There wasn't anything to sell. Um, uh, we owned a flat in... London, which we pretty much owned outright, and uh, so that's, I came here, and that was pretty much, we split proceeds from that, and that was my assets to start the business here. Okay, I'm gonna go off script for a second, so prepare. Again? Again. Um, what's your approach to sales, in terms of, you're 21 years out, out hustling leather, you're setting yeah. up sweatshops and selling clothes through pop-up shops. What's, I hate selling. Why do you do it? How do you do it? I didn't know any better. I really didn't. I've always been at the sales of form and I've never enjoyed it. Do you think you're good at it? Um, yeah, I guess, but it's because it's... Um, from startup, you have to, someone, has to be in, someone has to be in sales. Um, do you... You have to sell. I did it because I had to. Do but. you take rejection personally? Um, yeah, for sure. Well, you gotta be thick-skinned. Yeah. So these are platitudes. These platitudes are the same. And I, what my job here today is make, I was saying to Jeremy, polishing a turd. <laughs> a lot of what I've been doing in my life has, to me has been horrible and I haven't enjoyed it. <laughs> and I've tried to make it sound positive and, and exciting. And this is the negative for this thing. And uh, so, so you do what you have to do. I didn't, I've never had the ability to do what they say is do something you love. I've never had that ability okay, to find something that I love. Yeah, so 
I enjoy Celadon. Celadon was a nice change, but but um, prior to that, it was prior really to that. Fun. So what what happened after you broke up the business and England wasn't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a total change. I took the divorce very very badly, and so I came to the States and I spent about um, nearly a year touring around the States, staying with friends and family and sleeping on couches and things like that. No plans again. How are you financially at this point? I was, you know, it's okay. I'd sold this, apart, this flat in, in London, and I was okay. Um, not that I could go on forever, but, you know, I, I could, you know, I'd survive for a while. I didn't have any plans. And then eventually, after about nine months, I was in, uh, staying with a friend in Plano, Texas. And I decided that I could, I'd have to get back on the ladder, the career ladder. Uh, and um, I decided to move to Charleston. I picked it on a map. I didn't know anyone here, and that was one of my things. I, I didn't want to know anyone, because people I knew, it, it was just the, the memories were too hard. It was, there was always that connection with the ex, ex-wife, and the memories were too hard. So I picked Charleston. I wanted to be on the East Coast. I didn't want to be in Florida. I wanted to be somewhere warm. There's not a lot of options left. Charleston was my first, first choice. <laughs> I pulled into Cape Town 26. I'm on, uh, I looked for the cheapest hotel from the billboards and I stayed at the, I think it was the Knights Inn. Pulled into the Knights Inn. Can I have a room? Yeah, but get into the room and someone, I saw on the uh, mirror someone had written, this is nothing to do with startup. Keep going, man. <laughs> I just like the story. Someone had written on the mirror, Roach City. <laughs> and then I look around and I start seeing roaches <laughs> flying all around. So I went and checked out. I said, I can't stay in here as a roach. And they gave me my money back. That was the surprising thing. And then I found another cheap hotel, stayed there, got a room out of the paper, staying with uh, so an Air Force guy. He was a great friend of mine now still. And um, started to meet people and look for a business. What type of business were you looking at? I was looking at everything. I was looking at franchises. I didn't have a lot of money, I had some money. Uh, I didn't want to get back into retail. And uh, I just looked at everything. And then an opportunity came up, presented itself. Having gone through the process of starting and stopping two businesses prior, did you have a new lens that you were using to make a decision of what business to start? No. No rules for family at this point? Like, you're doing whatever. Well, I had to get a, I had to provide a job for myself. And that's the only way you knew? I didn't know what I was going to do. Okay. Yeah. Are these different answers from the one we talked about? No, these are good. <laughs> <laughs> Am I throwing you off? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting nervous now. Um, so anyway, you're in Charleston. You get the itch to start... I looked for a long time and I was looking at everything and um, one of my circles of friends, um, he was also looking to get into business. He was in the restaurant, his name is Robert Fisher, he was in the restaurant business, he was a manager. Uh, he wanted to get into business on his own, I wanted to get into the business and at the time he had a young family, um, just moved into Burnsdown and he was um, looking for contemporary furniture. And uh, he couldn't find anything at the time. This is 25 years ago. Everything in Charleston was pretty traditional. He wanted more of a contemporary look. 
And uh, so we started talking about it. We decided to go in business to fill the gap. So basically, we identified a gap. Um, I had a little money. He had to borrow the money from his family. We started to go to trade shows. I kind of wanted to model it on a European look, which is more... The name in the industry is that you have traditional and the other end is contemporary, and in the middle they call it transitional, which is not a term you hear much in the public, but that's what we call it, transitional. So for two years, we started researching, going to trade shows, putting a plan together. You're planning this time. What yeah. are you planning for? Opening a retail store in Mount Pleasant. We chose Mount Pleasant. We okay. locked out Mount Pleasant, because it at then, and probably still, is wall-to-wall -wall yuppies. And uh, <laughs> everyone wants to move into a bigger house. So every bigger house has more wall space to fill. And, and um, so I, I do not underestimate luck in a business. How did the idea, two years is a long time to plan, what, how did the idea change over that period of time? Um, really didn't change much, you know. Um, yeah, I don't think so. What are you doing for two years? Well, I, you know, I was still, I was, um, buying and selling boats. I was big fixing hurricane damaged boats up uh, and just, you know, I had enough, I still had enough money. I was doing fine. I wasn't living extravagantly for sure. Okay. So what was the well, problem? I mean, I mean, that obviously helped me a lot. I mean, most startups, I mean, we still were bootstrapping when we started and we were over bootstrapping and I got into financial difficulties when I bought my partner out. Um, so, so I, but I did have a cushion there, so I, I was fortunate with that. Okay. What year did you open the store officially? 1994. 1994, and how big was the store then? About 5,000 square feet. Okay. It was in the old bowling alley shopping center in Mount Pleasant. Okay, and how did that first year play out versus your Good, we were profitable. We, was, we were profitable from, from, <coughs> from the beginning. And what was the responsibility breakdown between your partner and yourself at that point? So, another partnership problem, issue. Um, when it started out, uh, two partners, it was great, because there was a lot of sweat equity went into the business. Two people there, that's great. That's two people working on painting and whatever it needs to be done. Um, after a while, um, it might be a reflection on me that I'm, I'm uh, not good in partnerships or however you want to interpret that. But um, after a while, it became a, pro became a problem. Um, he was in the restaurant. His experience was restaurant, so it might have worked better for him, the back of house, front of house thing. We didn't really have that. It became, it became where if we want, this is eventually down the road, if we wanted to buy a stapler, we'd have to haggle about it. It couldn't, so it became having a part, having two people, we were literally doing the same job and we didn't split up the responsibilities too well. Mm -hmm. They were split up, but the financial ones we didn't. And um, it became there where if you're in business on your own, you could go and make a decision. And it could be a good or a bad decision, but you make the decision and move on. As um, two of us, we would haggle about everything. It was just very inefficient and frustrating. I can Imagine, how many years did it take to get to the point where... Well, after the first year, we wanted to grow, so we opened a store in Greenville. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have our controls and policies in place. And secondly, neither of us wanted to move to Greenville. 
<laughs> and we didn't have anyone in place to send out there. So it's really like our ugly stepchild. And uh, it was not managed very well, and managed from, from afar. And eventually, you know, it was losing a lot of money, lost uh, a lot of money in the first year. So eventually we had to sit down and I wanted to close it. My partner, Robert, didn't want to close it because of an ego thing. He thought it would be, it would look bad. And then we eventually, that's what we fell out over. You mentioned you didn't have the policies and the procedures in place. What types of things were missing in that second control that were here? Control, excuse it's me. All control. You need to control. What are some examples of controls that? Well, it's, it's all basic inventory control, staff control, customer service controls, and retail. Mm -hmm. Is that something you were doing well in the Mount Pleasant location? Well, again, um, we have controls, but I'm there, so they again they've probably been neglected. Um, I'm hoping to retire in two years, and we are starting to put our controls into place because I know the new managers um, are interested in expanding the business, so we're putting the controls in place. Cool. So how did the... Can I talk about the name? I was just going to go there. Yeah. All right. So, okay. <laughs> so another startup experience, uh, and it's different now, of course. So when we opened... Um, 22 years ago, we had to come up with a name. And names are tough, as you know, which is why all you tech guys have weird names. You know, because <laughs> there's nothing out there that you can't use. Because someone else has got it trademarked. So we're coming up with all these great names. Hey, how about this? So then what you had to do, you couldn't just go online and look up a name and see whether it's trademarked. You had to go to a trademark attorney. And the trademark attorney would say, hey, we like this name. And the trademark would say, yeah, I'll research it. No, it's already taken, that's 100 bucks. How about this name? No, it's already taken, 100 bucks. How about this name? That's already taken, that's 100 bucks. So, my partner had a friend who was in law school. <laughs> and I think you probably know where this is going. I'll do it for free, he says, I'll look it up for you. And we came up with the name Room and Board. Oh, that's great. What a great name. <laughs> we opened under the name Room and Board. And fortunately, we had, well, fortunately, we had temporary signage up and all this kind of stuff. He looked it up. Yeah, it's clear. About eight months later, we get a cease and desist letter from a lawyer in Chicago for the Room and Board chain. And how they found out about us was we sell very some some very similar we had some of the same suppliers and they got some of our invoices <laughs> <laughs> and that was tough because you have to change everything all your paperwork signage customers don't know what's going on so then um he said you have 90 days to change the name so we again we started trying all these different things that's 100 bucks no that's 100 bucks no so then we had a competition with our customers, come up with a name. And they all did the same thing, came up with names that had already taken, and we tried a few of those. So eventually my partner came up with the name Strobler. Wow, what a fantastic retail name that is. It was an anagram of our two names, Steve Lesniak and Robert Fisher. I hated the name, but we were under a deadline. The lawyers were breathing down our necks, so I accepted it. And then after, so we went with Strobler, and then after I 
bought him, we fell out and I bought him out, which I have another story about. The, the um, yeah, okay. Keep rolling. We talked before, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, um, when I eventually bought him out, changed the name to Celadon, which I like a lot. What's the story about the partner? Okay, so, we want to, uh, we both decide partnership's not working. We both want to buy each other out. We both want to stay in the business. The lawyer suggests that we go to arbitration. So we go to an arbitrator, and the arbitrator says, okay, here's the deal. 30 days, you guys both come up with a bid. The highest bid wins, a sealed bid. The highest bid wins. That's the end of the matter. Cost us $500. <laughs> he says, and after that 30 days, it's, it's legally binding. And that was it. It was awesome. And we, we did have some provisions in our agreement uh, to do this, fortunately, in our partnership agreement. And so I bid $13,000 more than him. Um, I was only buying half the business, of course. Um, $13,000 now is nothing. Um, at the time, I paid much more than the business was worth and much more than I could afford. And I did everything they tell you not to do. I put money on credit cards. I bought, borrowed money from everyone. And I struggled for a couple of years till, till things worked out. Why did you have so much conviction in the business? <laughs> I had an alternative plan. And my alternative plan is, uh, I'm a sailor, my alternative plan was to go sailing for a year. I didn't have that much conviction. <laughs> I just didn't have a job. I was buying myself a job. Buying a job. Yeah, I just buying myself a job. Fair enough. So how did the business change then once you um, won arbitration and well, got ownership yeah, of just it? That made it more efficient as far as making decisions. Um, Robert taught me a lot, you know, from his experience in the restaurant industry. And, um, but, you know, I was able to run it myself. Um, the problem with running a business yourself is you have no one to talk to and no one to go to. And um, you can talk to the other uh, your, your people you work with to an extent, but there's some decisions you have to make yourself, which is um, why I strongly recommend having a um, group of, of other entrepreneurs in other industries to talk to. Yeah, did you find other people to talk to, or were you just on yes. your head? Yes, no, well, a um, couple of things I've done, it's, it's all about startup and good, ex good experiences. Um, one thing, I went to the uh, East Cooper business, something, 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 and they used to, they had monthly meetings, and there was a chap there who was talking, uh, he was in retail, and he became our consultant, Andy Ozarek, and he, um, I've had the same consultant now for 22 years, and that has been fantastic. Um, he now lives in Boise, and he also has a house here, so he spends more time in Boise, but we talk every, um, about once, every two weeks. We about talk every two weeks, or we meet every two weeks with my managers, and we talk about business stuff, and the guy is a much better businessman than I am, that's true of a lot of people. And he, he's our numbers guy. He looks at our cash flow and our ratio of slow sellers and our staff. He talks about staffing issues because he's retail and all the business stuff. And he doesn't let us bullshit. And he holds our feet to the fire. That's been fantastic. The other thing I, I did, um, Claire Stir, 
was involved in a um, group that brought four or five, she would bring four or five business people together, and she would call, bring um, what she called them a mastermind group. Mastermind group, and, and what does the, the harbor forum. call them? The, the forum. harbor calls them a forum. Uh, mastermind comes from um, a book written in 1930s by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And that's probably one of the first, you know, business self-help type books. Um, and he, one of he, he was a big uh, proponent of mastermind groups. So basically, it's having a uh, unpaid, um, uh, like a board. But they're all business people, non-competing. And that, uh, although we haven't met for a couple of years now for various reasons, I've met with these guys for 15 years. They've been very close. We talk, we talk, it's basically goal setting, personal goals and business, and not just business, because business and personal is all related. And uh, I've been doing that for 15 years. I had, had done that for about 15 years, and that's been uh, a fantastic help as well. What have been some of the challenges growing Celadon over the last 25 years? Um, the challenges are all the same, and they never change. It's, 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 it's staffing issues, it's cash flow issues, maybe not cash flow so much now, but um, it, it's um, a competition. Um, competition is always a part of any business and addressing, having to address it. Um, the issues never change. What are you most scared of within the context of those issues? I'm always scared of competition. Um, and every time a business own, opens up, I panic and I go to the manager, shit, what am I going to do? Stop pulling my hair out. <laughs> and then we're fine. And, uh, you know, sometimes we adjust, might change what we're buying and, and stuff, change, change what we're doing. But um, I, I've just always been scared of competition. Do you view e-commerce as competition? Yes, definitely. Um, we were new into e-commerce. Uh, Victoria's here, handles our e-commerce. Um, we started it. 15 months ago, um, we're not covering our, we're not breaking even on it, um, but I think it's very important. It's part of advertising, it's part of everything. Um, I think we're too late in the game. You know, if we'd started 15 years ago, then our position may be different. But, Why'd you wait so long? Uh, me, knucklehead, doesn't know how to use a phone. Internet's a fad. <laughs> it's a fad. <laughs> <laughs> It won't take off. Um, so, <laughs> playing the long game, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I was telling you, I only have a few experiences um, going to Celadon, mainly through my wife. And my wife brings me to Celadon because of some of the <laughs> some, events. Something that you new hold. we introduced. Yeah. So talk about the customer Beer experience. and wine. <laughs> We've only just started doing and it. Wine and dogs. We've always loved dogs. Though. Because we love dogs. And Santa Claus. And Santa Claus. Beer and wine, get the customer drunk. It's marketing 101. <laughs> but in that context, talk about the importance of focusing on the customer experience and how that's evolved over time at, at um, Celadon. E-commerce is, is uh, scary. Um, how we've addressed it is we've tried where we can to buy things that are not easily shoppable. So we import a lot of direct sourced goods from overseas. Uh, that's way, one way of addressing it. Um, for us, fortunately, furniture, a lot of customers still want to sit on it and try it out. 
and see what it looks like. We've all had bad experiences shopping online where you get something and it looks cheaper than it does in the picture, or it is cheaper looking than it looks in the picture, plus you have to assemble it. And, you know, we've all had bad experience, but it's not stopping people from buying more, you know, as you know, more important people are buying online. So, but the, I think the main thing we've done more uh, recently is to make the experience better with the beer and the wine, pop-up shops, vendors in the store doing funky things, food trucks outside, the flea market we do at the warehouse once a month. And those things are expensive and time-consuming. Um, we do the flea market once a month at the warehouse. We have to pay for uh, a band, we pay for, we give free beer, we pay for a jump castle, we pay for a bunch of other stuff, we're into it for a thousand dollars probably, but we sell furniture and that's why it's all, and then we have 40 vendors out there, but it's there to sell furniture, it's not for everyone to have a good time, they have a good time, that's great. But I'm there to sell furniture, and it helps. It brings people in, it brings more people to the door, and that's what it's all about—just bringing people to the door. For sure. All right, I'm gonna ask one more question or hit on one more topic, then we'll open it up for Q&A. You mentioned earlier that you're looking to retire in two right. years, yeah. and you mentioned when we talked earlier this isn't your first attempt at retiring. <laughs> so, how are you working with your leadership team to? Let me tell you the experience, first of all. So, so about three or four years ago, I started to uh, back up. And I went to five days a week, four days a week, three days, two. I got to two, two and a half days a week, 20 hours a week. It was awesome. <laughs> it was fantastic. I could spend more time on my hobbies, with my family. Can I just say my wife is here? This is Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Woo! <laughs> I, as I mentioned, I come from a dysfunctional family. She comes from the opposite of a dysfunctional family. Everyone's normal. And it's been, Kathleen's just been a great influence for me. She's been awesome. And it's uh, coming up on our 12 year anniversary. So thank you. Woo! Um, where was I? I don't know, leadership. Oh, yeah. Retiring. So, unfortunately, my profits fell in half. And uh, it wasn't uh, the manager I had. Um, Brett Powell, real nice guy. He'd been with me for 10 years. Um, it wasn't anything spooky going on. It was I took my eye off the ball. I was there after 20 hours a week. I wasn't focusing on things. I just went in as a helicopter boss, flew in, had a bunch of meetings, and then I was off. And, and um, sales were going up a little bit, but not as good as they should have been in the Mount Pleasant market, the way it's growing. Um, and Brett just wasn't the right person for the job. He wasn't aggressive enough. And so I ended up going in, firing Brett, was a friend, he's a nice guy, and he'd been with me for 10 years, and I had to go back full time. So this is about six months ago, and I went in at seven days a week. Now I'm down to five, five and a half days a week. And how are you training up but, the next? Um, oh, so profits are back up, sales are up a lot. And it's not an ego thing, it just needs to be focusing on the right things and having the right people. And I'm training, or getting our policies, this is after 22 years, <laughs> getting up, so we still make mistakes, I still make mistakes. Um, getting our, uh, yeah, we're working on getting our policies in place and um, focusing on making sure I have the right people to do that job when I leave in two years time.
you feel good about the two-year time frame? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the that bad experience I had is going to help a lot. Okay. Last question, then we'll open it up for Q and A. For those in the room that are brave enough to start brick-and-mortar business, or those that are starting tech companies, what advice do you have for the folks in the room? Um, well, for me, working for someone else sucks. Working anyway sucks, but you're better off working for yourself than some, someone else. Um, that's my advice. <laughs> 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 <laughs>